What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. I wanted to be a WWE superstar. Well, I remember watching it when I was a kid. And I remember thinking, those guys are special. I wanted to be special. You are under a personal services contract to me. You worthless waste of space. You are nothing, nothing. Stupid. Worthless disappointment. Stupid. Waste of space. Alex Riley has erupted. Riley could take no more of the verbal abuse from the Miz. My name is Alex Riley. You thought you beat me, but you only made me stronger. And I'll be damned if you take anything else away from me again. Alex Riley has just beaten the Miz. I've caused a lot of pain done a lot of things I'm not proud of, but I'm going to prove I deserve respect. I've earned it. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Eric Bischoff's IRW Network. Head on over to IRWNetwork.com and download the brand new Triple Threat podcast featuring the franchise Shane Douglas and the two-man power trip of wrestling. New episodes released every Monday on IRWNetwork.com and hear the uncensored, unfiltered, and unapologetic opinions from the franchise Shane Douglas as well as the two-man power trip of wrestling. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. 
And John, today on the show, we are joined by a former WWE superstar who's made a very successful transition over into the world of acting as part of the monster hit on Netflix, Glow, as Kevin Kiley Jr., a.k.a. Alex Riley, joins today's program. And of course, we remember Alex Riley from his time in the WWE. First on the second season of NXT, he was possibly one of the main standouts of that second season, and then went on to be very, very successful as the second to The Miz, while The Miz was in the midst of his world title run back in 2010, leading to a main event at WrestleMania against John Cena, which was a very famous WrestleMania because it was a basic non-finish that included the guest host at the time, The Rock, and we will get to that in the episode. But when you think about Alex Riley, you think about a lot, and I mean a lot, of missed opportunity because here's a guy who had it all. He had the look, he had the mic skills, and he was definitely great in the ring. And Alex Riley, I think, would pretty much be at the top of everybody's list of the missed opportunities of the last five or six years because this is a guy with a lot of determination and a phenomenal story that we dig very deep into in this episode. And one thing that we can kind of you know, reveal and pull back the curtain about this episode is, yes, we are here to talk about Glow. And one of the things that I find amazing about the two-man power trip is that the interviews just kind of evolve and they take a natural progression. And of course, we were going to talk wrestling, but I think what we got into was some of the most compelling audio to come out of this show in quite a long time. And that is absolutely saying something, especially thinking about the last month's worth of guests. And we had Jim Cornette and Bruce Pritchard and Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and all these polarizing guys. But I feel like it's Alex Riley who really steals the show. And we get to find out a lot about the inside of what went on with WWE, his time there, and how this transition into acting has been so successful, and how the WWE tenure of Alex Riley really played such a huge part. And this is one episode where I've just been on the edge of my seat waiting to publish it because you are going to enjoy the story of Kevin Kiley. You're going to enjoy Kevin Kiley's transition into Alex Riley. And then when you see it, and I'm sure most of the people who are listening to this have seen the Netflix series Glow, which focuses on you know the story of the fictitious wrestling league back from the mid-80s, which was kind of a parody, kind of a comedic thing back in the day. A little bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing, but this Netflix show has really taken on a life of its own, and the audience is growing, and the response has been there, and Kevin Kiley has had such a main part of that success being one of the only actual wrestling performers to be on the show. There's been a couple, and we'll talk about them in the show, but Kevin Kiley having a main part in one of the uh, kind of storylines involved with the show is a really cool thing because when he tells a story about how he got the part, you'll see how the special nature of this role really plays a part into his actual story as well. So, John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this interview with Alex Riley? One of the main points that you and I kept bouncing off of each other over the last week was, of course, the kind of controversial story surrounding Alex Riley and John Cena. But why don't you kind of give us a little bit of an insight into where we almost went with that, as well as some of these other highlights about Kevin Kiley's journey into acting and talking so much as we did about his time in the WWE. Yes, Chad, back here at the two-man power trip and back in a big way with Alex Riley, now known as Kevin Kiley Jr., 
the guest star had a huge guest starring role on the Netflix original series Glow, which is getting rave reviews all over the place, not only from wrestling fans, but from critics and just your regular old TV-watching viewers alike. So it was quite a special episode to get on Kevin, a.k.a. Alex Riley. And we have talked in the past, obviously uh, off-air, I've talked to him before, and it was funny, it was like, you know, he was really kind of done with the business, uh, he d- didn't really like the business, he, you know, he didn't like his departure from WWE, and it's kind of great, and it's kind of uh, really satisfying to hear him and talk to him now about wrestling, because his, his mindset had, you know, completely changed, because sometimes when you get released at WWE, it's like, why did I get released? I had so much potential. You could have done so much with me. I had so much charisma. I'm a former FCW world champion. I was a part of a main event along with The Miz for WrestleMania. I wrestled John Cena. I wrestled The Rock. I've done this. I've done that. So it's one of those things where it's like, what the hell happened? What went wrong? You know, screw the WWE, screw the business. But now look, he has a huge role, huge guest starring role as Steel Horse on Glow. And basically was the pivotal part in the series where one of the stars, uh, the Liberty Bell, if you will, the beautiful Betty Gilpin, she basically was at a crossroads, and Alex Riley's character helped her through that, and, and it's kind of the turning point in the series. So it's real cool that he had a pivotal excuse me, pivotal role. He will be back, you can guarantee that, for uh, season two of uh, Glow there on Netflix. But it's really cool to see a wrestler in that role. It's really cool to see him in that role because now you see he's he's pumped up. Like he said, he was so pumped up after our interview, he went and he went to go hit the gym. So that was cool. So, you know, we got him going. We got him talking about Glow, obviously. It was, it was a big topic of conversation. Wrestling business in general is a big topic of conversation. But, of course, his time in the WWE was big time. We, we did talk a little FCW and we did talk a little bit NXT. Of course, we talked a little bit about Dusty Rhodes and Steve Kern, two former guests that, you know, near and dear to the two-man power trip. So great stuff. We even get a little Johnny Ace and Greg Gagne in there as well. So that's interesting stuff, interesting story. But, of course, the main focus after we talked about Glow was his WWE run, was his amazing chemistry with The Miz, was the relationship with The Miz, We do talk a little bit about The Rock, and of course we do talk about John Cena and some controversies involving him. What did John Cena have to do with Alex Riley's release, if anything at all? We do get into that topic. It is kind of the elephant in the room, so we had to mention it. And I feel like his answer was great, and I really enjoyed it. And this, honestly, we had a a great run and a great string of interviews here, and Alex Riley ranks up there as one of my tops, one of my favorites. He was so good, and, and... so forthcoming with all his answers and so honest I just it was refreshing it was great I I just absolutely loved it and I love that he's kind of not beating the wrestling business but he's kind of on top of his game on top of the world right now in Hollywood doing movies doing big TV shows like Glow and really kicking ass and taking names and almost making the WWE say hmm maybe we should have kept this guy you know maybe uh, we should have done something with him but hey it, all things happen for a reason, and I think that this one happened for a good reason for Alex Riley, a.k.a. Kevin Kiley Jr., because I see nothing but big things in his future, not only as far as Netflix and TV, but big things as far as the big screen in Hollywood. Absolutely, and we want to, again, thank Kevin Kiley Jr., a.k.a. Alex Riley, for coming on the show What an awesome interview, and we said to him off the air, we appreciate all the detail that he went into because the interview really took on a life of its own, and the nice tip of the cap that he gave us after the interview was always very appreciated, 
and always quite welcomed. And it was very, uh, it was a very fun chat. And we thank Kevin Kylie so much and the folks from Netflix and Glow for Kevin Kylie coming on today's program. So, John, as we wrap it up, we start to move forward to August 12th at the Icons of Wrestling, as you heard on our previous episode with good old JR Jim Ross. He is coming to the Icons of Wrestling in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on August 12th. And you can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash TMPT of Wrestling for more information on tickets. Or if you want to buy tickets directly, head on over to brownpapertickets.com and type Jim Ross Icons in the search engine, and you will be able to purchase your tickets to join us at the Icons of Wrestling with Jim Ross and just announced there's going to be a special photo op available with Jim Ross and his former WCW on-air tag team partner, Tony Schiavone, as well as with his WWE Attitude Era partner, Jerry the King Lawler. So you're not going to want to miss that. Get to Philadelphia. Get to the former ECW arena and join both the two-man power trip and good old JR, Jim Ross, for an afternoon of extreme slobber knockers all around and for everybody in attendance. So, John, now, with all that being said, why don't you hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Alex Riley. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. Follow us down to Philadelphia where we hit the Icons Collectors Fest at the 2300 Arena. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 because you never know where we may land. Now, without any further ado, a former FCW World Champion, you may know him as A-Rai, or the Varsity Villain, now playing Steel Horse on the Netflix original series, Glow, he is Alex Riley, a.k.a. Kevin Kiley Jr. Please enjoy.
Well, joining us on the line tonight is somebody who John and I are absolutely thrilled to be joined by. If you remember him from his time in the WWE, you know him by two names. You know him as A-Rye, as I like to say it, or Alex Riley. And now he's jumped into the world of episodic television with a vengeance on the absolute Netflix smash hit, Glow. And it is our pleasure to welcome in right now, Kevin Kiley. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Guys, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I guess the, the names here are getting out of control. We have, what do we have? We have no, A-Rye, a- Alex Riley, Kevin Kiley Jr., Steel Horse. Uh, that, that's what I'm doing, I think. I'm just trying to collect as many names as possible before, uh, before the end of my career here. Well, Steel, Steel Horse kind of like threw a, uh, you know, a little uh, crick into the pattern there because you got Kylie, Riley, and now Steel Horse. I guess they couldn't find anything that ended with an Eiley, you know, that could have fit that character yet. Yeah, yeah, he's completely screwed up the plan a little bit in, in that regard, but, um, but he's got me back on the map, I think, so, so I'll take it. Oh, absolutely, and I'll tell you, it's so cool to actually have somebody on now that can cross over back into the wrestling world the way you have with your time in the WWE and just with the response that Glow has gotten from the mainstream. I mean, even as far as mainstream outlets contacting John and I to talk about Glow, it's such a cool project. But i got to ask you first, did you expect this response from not only just the wrestling fans but also the mainstream media to this you know, retread of the 1980s wrestling project in Glow? Yeah, no, absolutely not. I um, I think what had happened was uh, that WWE and I had kind of decided to, to part ways after 10 years, and I, uh, you know, I, I certainly had a, God, man, there, there wasn't much I didn't do at WWE when it came to broadcasting and, uh, you know, NXT back and forth and uh, the run with The Miz and all that stuff, but uh, the main event of WrestleMania was fantastic, and then uh, we, I kind of got to the end of it, and was trying to figure out what I was going to do um, career-wise moving forward. And uh, I, was, um, I was actually trying to get into to some broadcasting um, and acting. Acting had always kind of been a, a big dream of mine, obviously. Who would want to be an actor? And, uh, and a lot of the WWE guys had, had gone into into do some acting, and certainly The Rock and, and, and Cena now is, uh, is trying to parlay into acting. But... Um, I just, you know, I was unsure. I didn't know. And I had a, a tape put together uh, while I was with WWE of some of just the backstage things that I had done and, uh, and, and a lot of the broadcasting things that I had done. And I, uh, I sent it off to a couple guys, uh, one guy being uh, a manager in Hollywood. And uh, he, he, had a, he, he loved it. He thought it was great. Um, thought I could get some work uh, right away or at least had a good shot at getting some work. Um, but I don't think anybody predicted this like this was so this has been so far um you know out of the park home run type of thing for for just for just being this early in in my acting career was really like the perfect role and when when the uh the audition I guess came across his desk and then he passed it down to me I remember reading it and and thinking uh uh uh-oh this this it was kind of eerie you know what I mean being the, the the type of role that it was and I think I got my hands on it really about two months after WWE and I had kind of decided that that was going to be that. And I just thought it was, it was kind of an eerie, eerie thing. It was like, well, what if I get this now? This, this could be interesting. So um, the fact that I got it and then now that it has just got, you know, the, the amount of success that it's had, 
has been absolutely incredible. And I feel very fortunate to be, to be a part of the whole thing, kind of the stars just aligned in the right way. And, and here I am talking to you guys. So, uh, so I can't complain. Yeah, neither can we. And we've obviously heard from a ton of guys that want to get into acting after either WWE or after they just fully retire from the business. And they get their shot. They get in some movies. You know, they get a couple bit parts in a television show. But uh, getting on a Netflix show today is really, it's a huge stepping stone because everything that Netflix does has people talking, whether it's original movies, whether it's original television shows, or whether it's bringing back old shows from, you know, the, the canceled resurrection of the dead. They're getting people to watch Netflix, and this is now the way we consume television. We watch it in one shot, and we enjoy it that way. But what I love about you is that your character, is Steel Horse, is actually playing a pivotal role in the show and helping characters move along. And I think if anybody could predict something great for a character that a wrestler is going to have on a wrestling show, it would be the kind of character that you play in Steel Horse. Yeah, it was, uh, and again, all these things that, um, it's just been a great ride since the moment that I got the script because, uh, A, you know, I'm, I, my manager explained to me that, you know, they're not just auditioning. This is a, this, it, was a it was a very, it was a, it was a guest star role, which, which I'm learning now is a, is a very, uh, a very important spot. It was, it's, it's a spot where they pretty much dedicate the story of that one episode to your character and, and how you're involved in the in the plot moving forward. So he said to me, you know, you're not you're not just they're not just auditioning actors for or uh, wrestlers for this. They're auditioning actors and and pretty much everybody in Hollywood that they think has has a shot at this or fits this type is going to go up for this role. Um, so so I got it, and and the fact that I I I got the uh, the part from that was incredibly exciting. And then to find out that it's a Netflix original series, which um, I started paying a lot more attention to. I was always obviously watched a ton of Netflix things, but I really believe that's the way it's, it's the new movie now. You know, I remember Kevin Spacey kind of listening to Kevin Spacey talk about uh, a lot of actors now are going to go primetime actors are moving into episodic television because they have an opportunity to make their characters a 10 hour character. And, and, and there's a lot more time and space to, to develop these these stories and these characters, it's not just uh, an hour and a half of special effects and cut it up and put it in a box office. So, I think that's the truth. I think now that you're seeing, um, certainly with Netflix, a lot of these original series. Uh, he's on House of Cards, you know, the uh, Thirteen Reasons Why. There's a lot of um, uh, you know great stories and great plots and great characters that Netflix is now making and 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 uh, and turning out in shows. And, and Glow is right right up there with all them. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, please go out and, uh, and check it out. But, um, Genji Cohen was, uh, was the executive producer. She did Orange is a New Black and Weeds and, uh, the creator, the, the showrunners, Carly mentioned Liz Flahive. So, uh, it's, it's like I, I stepped out of the WWE and stepped right into a team of the best in Hollywood. Uh, so, like I said, from from the moment and, and I guess turning every corner and finding out that it's just even bigger and bigger and bigger of a project uh, than I had the, than I had known about before has just been absolutely incredible. And and I can uh, you know I, I felt very fortunate when I when I got the opportunity to sign with the WWE and and now I, I feel you know as blessed to have this opportunity and I hope they continue uh, moving forward. 
it used to almost be a taboo in entertainment that film stars didn't do television. And if they were doing television, it almost looked like it was some kind of a step backwards because most of the time people thought about sitcoms. They were, the, the TV drama wasn't what it is now. So that was a step backwards. So you got people like Kevin Spacey, like you mentioned, Naomi Watts, is on, a, is on a Netflix show as we speak as well, and it's really, it's broken that taboo, which is kind of funny, because if you look at the parallels to wrestling, when you see how like, an actor wants to get into the wrestling world to promote something, that's a great outlet because of the fan base, but you being a wrestler going into acting, obviously there's parallels there too with the experience you got in WWE and the experience now that you have as an actor. So where are the parallels for you? Do you see how your training at WWE in front of the audience, in front of the camera, really helped you just kind of sink your teeth into the behind the film camera role now as Steel Horse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, the girls, um, the woman's name is uh, Rachel uh, Schuchert, uh, by the way, that, that wrote the part um, for Steel Horse. And I think, I think she did such a good job because, and it was, it was an easier transition for me. This was the perfect part really for me to transition in because the, the, the monologue or the back and forth that I had um, with Betty Gilpin was he, was he was really just talking about wrestling in, in a way that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, can, it can parallel life in so many ways and relationships and friendships and you got to go do your job no matter what is basically what, what he said. And I think she did a, a great job with that. So, so she should be credited for it. But um, with the WWE and preparing them preparing me for this, there I don't think there is a better company that's not only going to prepare you for for acting, but for a lot of things in life than the WWE. I mean, the WWE will put you, and I don't know if they do it on purpose. I know they say they do, but I, I gotta say, about eighty percent of the time, I don't even think they know they're doing it um, because they have so many things going on. Uh, it's a live show that takes place every week on Monday night at 8 o'clock. It goes for three hours, and that's just the stuff you see on TV. There's an hour before of of matches that are on the Internet or now the WWE Network, and uh, you are put in positions just by, you know, the, the nature of the beast that are terribly frightening. I mean, absolutely will, will the first day or the first time you're involved in them will scare you half to death, and you have to go out there with a live microphone and a script that was given to you uh, two minutes before um, with three other guys that you have not spoken to about the script, and you have to go out there and make it work, and you have Vince McMahon watching you. Uh, now, I don't think a lot of people quite understand that, that are either in the stands or watching uh, from home, that a lot of times the, the guys that you're seeing on TV are literally putting it together out there, whether it be a match or or, or a, uh, a spoken segment, I guess, on the fly. And when you start getting used to doing that, um, when, you, when you start getting used to uh, being on live television, sometimes not knowing where you're going to go, uh, a lot of times not having communicated with the other guy, and you find a way to just calm yourself down, uh, make it work, stay in control, it, it's an incredibly empowering feeling. There's not many auditions or or positions I'm going to be putting out here that are going to terrify me like that did. So for that, I'm very fortunate uh, to be able to perform in front of 20,000 people live, 80,000 people live with people like The Rock, uh, The Miz, Jericho, you know, The Undertaker. These guys have been doing it for 15, 20 years and, and live performers. Uh, 
um, that, that's really what, what the WWE taught me uh, more than anything else. And again, I'm, I'm fortunate for that because uh, there's certainly, there certainly challenges in acting. Uh, it, is, it is a lot different uh, in the way that the camera is two inches from your nose when you're doing it. And, and the, w, the WWE is shot at a distance. So there's some space there where you can kind of, well, if you forget a word, there's maybe some time to, to think about what you're saying. In acting, there is no, there's no time or space for anything. You have to know and believe what you're, what you're saying or it's going to become very see-through very quickly. Uh, but the, the nerves are the nerves are dead and gone, and I don't think they'll ever come back again, thanks to the WWE. So that's a good thing. I, I'm telling you, the enthusiasm you hear in your voice is off the charts, and it really matches the response to the show. And that is a that is a perfect marriage. But your time in WWE, so not only you know learning how you became a great broadcaster and really were a highlight of the early part of the WWE Network on all the various shows that you did. And I will say sorely missed. We'll get to that, you know, in a little bit. But yeah, yeah. how about you? How about behind the scenes of the show itself? Because obviously, you know, yes, I know there are wrestling people behind the scenes who are helping with the training. They're helping with, you know, maybe learning how to to take care of yourself safety-wise. But did any of the actors, or maybe any of the producers, or any of the writing staff come to you to maybe seek your opinion on certain things because of obviously your time in the WWE? Sure. Yeah, I was there. Um, I, I believe I was there for about five days, and uh, you know, day one was just kind of getting to know uh, the crew and, and and the actors and all that. And, and Chavo Guerrero uh, was there, who I was always uh, very good friends with, and and has always been a great guy. And I think he did a great job training the girls on how to uh, how to be wrestlers in there. You know, they I have a lot of respect for those women because they had to. You know, not only did they have to know their lines, and spend the 12 hours a day that it was to film the scenes uh, moving, you know, moving along with the Netflix original series, which is incredibly grueling. Um, but then as soon as that broke, they had to go off with Chavo and learn how to be wrestlers uh, and, and drill and bump and feed and all, the, and all that stuff. So, you know, th- those girls really did put their time in and, uh, and should be commended for it. They were, you know, they were dog tired every day, but uh, they really did. They were, they were in wrestling camp and acting camp, and, and, and they did a great job and certainly put out a, out a good product. But, yeah, the, every once in a while they would come and ask me uh, my opinion when I was watching them train. Uh, Does this look good? Should I try this move? And, and things like that. And, and me being, you know, me being the new the rookie on the acting block, I, I tried to help as much as I could, but again, I kind of wanted to, uh, on the wrestling side, I helped, but, but anything else, I was, I was really just very humbly there to learn. So, so it was, it was a good time. It was nice to have, uh, have those women though, really respect, um, come up to, come up to you and say, you know, I just, I really respect what you do because it's, uh, it's painful. It doesn't look as painful <laughs> on TV as it is, and that's the truth. It, if anybody's ever gotten into a, into a wrestling, uh, pro wrestling style ring and, and even tried to do the warm-up or the, the things that, that you have to get used to to, to perform, it's, uh, it's an adjustment. So, so that was cool. Anytime you can have Chavo Guerrero or somebody at his stature teaching you how to be safe and how to take care of yourself is obviously, that's a huge, huge plus. And, you know, GLOW being what it was in the 1980s, you know, I'm sure not a lot of people may have remembered GLOW before the show, you know, kind of started to get pressed. But obviously the wrestling fans remember GLOW and what it was 
in the 1980s because it was such an alternative even at that point. And we saw a couple people sneak out of GLOW and kind of move on. Obviously, Ivory was the big name that came out of GLOW and ended up having a pretty damn good career. But did you uh, did you kind of follow GLOW either growing up or did you have to go back, maybe watch a little bit of the old GLOW just to get a flavor of that 1980s, you know, kind of uh, – you know, tongue-in-cheeky glam style of some of the characters they did. But, again, you know, a lot of trailblazers uh, paving the way in the old Glow promotion. Yeah, no, I did. I, I watched, growing up, man, I watched anything wrestling or football or, you know, but my dad was a, was a broadcaster with, uh, with, with ESPN, I think, at the time. So I was, I was always a huge re- – anything that involved me smashing into my brother, I think that helps me I watched. So, yeah, no, I remember Hollywood. Uh, I was a big fan of her on the show. But I did, of course, I did when Netflix put out a a documentary with, uh, I believe, Chavo's uncle was the original trainer. Is that Chavo's uncle, I believe, was the original trainer. But, I, yeah, I watched that, and I I made sure I was caught up. But I, um, you know, I, I just have a lot of respect for him to, to be able to come out there because it was. It was it was very uh I don't know if it was not accepted, but it wasn't you know, it certainly did a lot for women's wrestling. You know, it, it helped pioneer women's wrestling and uh it was very character based. And uh you know, it, it was just um it's an amazing thing that that uh Genji Cohen can pick up on this, go back and with all the history that is involved with uh with this project. Uh, the amount of success that it's had is it's, it's a great thing to see. You know, like Chad mentioned, you had a pivotal role in this series. Obviously, the big guest star role as Steel Horse, but you know, you're the rookie kind of on the scene. Obviously, it, is, it does have to do with wrestling. But were you intimidated at all when they put you in, in basically a sex scene with uh, Betty Gilpin? Was that, or were you almost <laughs> ready for that because of wrestling? Um, no, I, I was not. That I was not ready for at all. There was. Uh, I remember when I when I read the when I read my part originally. And then I and I got the role. Um, I, I think I was talking to my manager. So I, this whole thing, like, I'm gonna have to do all this. And he was like, Well, yeah. And uh, it, it, I don't think there was anything in there that, you know, it was like, what a way to start into Hollywood. Like, I'm not standing in the corner uh, being muscle guy number five, you know, <laughs> grabbing somebody mm-hmm. and escorting him out the door. It was it was pretty much full go with uh, with the makeout and the sex scene and all that stuff. Um, so yes, of course it was, it was a little intimidating and, uh, but, but Betty was, was great. You know, I, I, uh, when I got there, um, I believe I, I tried, I got her phone number and I just talked to her the night before about kind of just how, how it goes and what, what's the deal with, do you, do you rehearse it? Do you not rehearse it? And she said, you know, it's, it's just really not that big of a deal. Well, uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll just go for it. You know, as soon as just know your lines, you know, and, and, uh, and when they say action, just, just forget about everything else and, and do what you do. So uh, that, that was, that was incredible. She was, she was a big help through the whole thing, not only with, um, you know, just kind of giving me a, and the room, just a very relaxed uh, a feel. And, uh, and, and that's the thing. I was very, very prepared for that role. I was uh, verbal, like with the lines, I, I had gone over those lines over and over and over and, and had known, you know, I, I made up what Steel Horse was doing 10 minutes before the match and what he was doing 30 minutes after the match and what he would do on season two, you know. So I, I was as prepared as possible for that. And I remember, um, 
after the after the wrestling stuff was over, uh, the director uh, Phil Abraham, who has done Sopranos and and Mad Men, and and again is is one of the best in Hollywood, kind of gave me the the uh, the get over here finger or the get over here finger, pointed at me and he said, "Do you know your lines? Are you comfortable with this?" And I and I said, "Yeah." And then he said, "Okay, well let me hear it." And everybody else had broken for lunch. And so it's me and him over in the corner, and I'm going over these lines with him. And, uh, and, he, and, and when it was over, he kind of, I think he gave me like a, a look where it was, all right, all right, not too bad, kind of. So they, I think they were waiting. They were unsure of what they were going to get, uh, being that I, was, that I was a wrestler before, and I really didn't have much acting experience. But I think everybody was very happy with it, and, uh, and I was happy that they were happy. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool that you had such a key role, basically kind of making uh, Betty or, you know, the Liberty Bell kind of putting her mind in, in the right place and her getting her yeah. to actually enjoy the business and getting kind of making her psychology. It was great because, you know, you see John Morrison playing the, the quote-unquote, the trainer or, you know, Carlito or Tyrus playing you know, the brother figures who were also wrestlers. But it was cool to see you get the, you know, your acting chops in there. I thought that was a, that was cool. It's like, okay, you know, a wrestler can play a wrestler, but, they can also act as well. I thought that was a cool little twist they threw out there. Yeah, it, it was great that, um, and, and again, I, I really, uh, when, I, when I was told that I got the part, my manager, he was so excited because he said, you know, they're, I didn't tell you this, but they did, have, they did have actors up for this, you know, people that are out here and that, that have a lot of acting experience and you were able to get it. So, uh, so you should be very proud, and I and I was. I, I did put a lot of time into it. I, uh, I I did study it a lot, and um, you know, it, it it was nice to to be out there and and to try to see and and to hopefully have succeeded at at making a transition from wrestling now into uh, not only not only being a wrestler acting wise, but also being a a normal person acting uh, on that platform was a was a great gift. Now, WB, when you were there, obviously they did some wacky, wacky things as far as whether it be NXT in that season two, uh, you being the protege of The Miz, who obviously, you know, now is kind of getting his uh, acting chops out there as well. You know, what do you think about a guy like The Miz, who you were his protege, and now you guys are kind of, I wouldn't say on the same playing field, but he's also trying to become an actor as well. Um, what would I say about it? I would say that, uh, he's, he's a very talented guy. Um, I would also say that, uh, he's, he's incredibly hardworking. I remember when they, when I was, um, I guess what I was with him on NXT, which is, uh, was a live show when I was doing it and we were all, we were all out there just, um, you know, falling down the edge of a mountain and grabbing what we could on the way down to make, to make it good or, to, to make it seem like we what, we knew what we were doing or entertaining and and he was such a, a big help to me. I remember um, one time somebody was talk somebody was just talking on the show. I believe it was Caval and he handed me the microphone and he goes, "Go cut him up." <laughs> I said, "What?" Hmm. He goes, "Here, take it and just go just go talk some smack or whatever." So, so I did and it came off very well. But he he is a professional man. He's uh, when it comes to WWE, he's been on TV for a long time. Uh, and even before that, he was with the real world. So he has a ton of, at this point, has to have 15 years of television experience, uh, the majority of them being live TV. I, I think he'll do very well. Um, I, think, I think acting like wrestling is, is, is just like anything else in entertainment in the regard that, you know, timing is very important. You have to have the right role, uh, be with the right people. You know, 
I think if I had done Steel Horse, um, maybe for another company or another time or, or wherever it was, and I wasn't a part of this this wonderful team at Netflix and and Genji Cohen and 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 the, and the director and all and Phil Abraham and all that stuff. I, I don't know if it would have had. In fact, I, I know it wouldn't have had the success that it has had. So so that being said, I, I think I think he's a, certainly talented enough to do it. Certainly hardworking enough to do it. Uh, a good guy, but then the rest is uh, up to the acting gods, I guess, or the entertainment gods where, where everybody falls. So, Now, I don't know how much current WWE you watch, but The Miz has really stepped up his game as of late, obviously with Maurice as well, but he's really, really stepped up. I mean, he's becoming like the lead heel, or was the lead heel on SmackDown. Now he's a lead heel on Raw. Basically, you know, IC champ, but he's kind of um, – grown into a little bit of a, of a ring general. He's kind of really, really blossomed into a lead guy, a true main eventer, a true heel. When you were his protege, did you kind of, you know, foresee him becoming this, you know, big star, like a number one draw for WWE or, or as even a top heel on Monday Night Raw? Well, he was the, he, he was the WWE champion when I was, when I was with him. So yeah, man, of course he was, uh, uh, we were in the main event of WrestleMania 27 with with John Cena. I mean, and and The Rock had just come back to host uh, um, WrestleMania 27. So yeah, of course, uh, I you know to watch what and again when when I'm watching WWE television or or when I was watching WWE television and and being a part of WWE, I I learned a lot when I got there in the regard that. What you see on television is not always, it's very rarely, uh, what is actually going on to produce that segment or that uh, character. And The Miz was loaded up with work constantly. You know, not, not only was he, uh, was he uh, the heel, uh, the WWE champion or the, the, um, the United States champion on NXT when I got there, but they, were, they would put a lot on The Miz's back. And, and he would make it work, uh, whether it be, you know, the segment was 15 minutes and I was out there in a suit standing behind him for 14 of them and he was, he was talking the entire time. And then Cena comes out and slams him through a table and, uh, and it's let's go Cena at the end. I mean, really, the, the Miz was the one that a lot of times was carrying those segments, although he was in the shadows and he was, he was not the star. He was, he was doing the brunt of the work and, and always – always would stick up for me in these meetings and, and say that, uh, you know, I, I should have an opportunity to talk here or maybe we put me here and this and that. So, so he, he, he's a good guy. He understands the business, I think, at this point better than anybody. He has to. Uh, he's got a tremendous amount uh, of experience at a top level. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I always saw that in him. I probably should have prefaced that a little better. Obviously, you know, you, you saw him being the main event of WrestleMania 27, and he beat Cena. But I just meant like as as more of a, of a ring general because at that point he was slowly coming into his own. Now he's the one kind of calling the shots, and now sure. you can tell he he now you could tell he's like the, the lead dog. He's kind of um, with Cena basically gone and everything, and he you could see he's yeah. kind of like the veteran. He's m- more so than some other guys you see on the roster. You could tell he just loves being that like heel. He loves being hated, and he loves those zingers and one-liners. Yeah, right. Yeah, yes, he does. Either uh, on TV or not on TV, as annoying as he can get. But um, yeah, yeah, I do. I, did, did I imagine him being a ring general like a like an Undertaker or John Cena? Uh, hmm. 
I don't, I don't know if that was ever a, a thing in my mind where I was like, yeah, that's 100% going to happen. I think in a lot of, but here's the great thing about Mike. He doesn't give a damn what anybody thinks about him. And he, he's as, he is, this guy is as tough mentally as I have ever seen. I mean, they give, they, they give this guy more shit, uh, even when he was the WWE <laughs> champion, than anybody than I've ever seen. And they used to give me a ton of shit. And, you know, growing up, coming through FCW and all that stuff. And he just doesn't, it doesn't affect him. I mean, anything that you have ever told or anybody has ever thought about Mike the Miz Mizan and that he was not going to do, you watch, you give him two or three years and he's doing it. So, so I, w- I want to say no. I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't really thinking about whether he was going to be a ring general or not. I had some other things that I wanted to, uh, that were consuming my, my, my thoughts. But I do know that, I would not bet against him in anything. So uh, he clearly loved the business. He, I remember him talking to, you know, Undertaker and, and those guys until the wee hours of the morning, um, trying, trying to, you know, always get better. And uh, shit, I was there with him for the majority of it. Uh, so so I, I knew if he was a part of the WWE that it was only a matter of time. The thing is, you know, you had – Supposedly JBL always picking on him and stuff, or you know, like you know, all the guys backstage kind of picking on him, and he kind of took it in stride. And now JBL even admits, you know, he had crow a little bit, and and, and he likes the Miz now, and, you know, and how much the Miz has grown. The thing with you and the Miz, which was always interesting to me, I always thought you guys may have like known each other beforehand because your chemistry, it was crazy. It just seemed like you guys were, you know, kind of like brotherly almost. It's like, wow, these guys play off each other well. What was that chemistry like with the Miz? So. It's it's very important in, in the WWE, I think, and in, in any sort of performing, especially, well, I guess, like, you can't even really compare it to anything because it's live television and it's, it's uh, you really do need to communicate well and, 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 and have a good relationship with the people that are in the ring with you. And, and Mike, Mike and I always really had that. I think there was, there, we had a lot of things in common when I, when I, with some of the things I was dealing with starting in the WWE, I think he kind of was dealing with the same things when he started. Uh, and he's just a good guy. You know, I, I hate to, I hate to ruin his, you know, he is annoying. He is very much the guy you see on TV for sure. He is very annoying. He is, uh, he has his way of <laughs> talking to you and delivering, delivering information to you that will drive you out of your mind for sure. Um, but at, at his core, he's, he's a good dude. And he, wanted to make his part better than it the better than expected and better the better than anybody on the show and in order to do that we needed a running dialogue we needed to communicate i mean he wanted he wanted to use uh me as the the best way he possibly could and get the most out of me that he could which is which is very very obvious and very very smart uh but unfortunately uh, you know, very uh, only a couple people will will see it that way. And, and he always, when it came to me, he didn't have an ego. Like I said, he spoke up uh, in meetings for me. He uh, suggested that I do things because they made sense. I was then able to, you know, just be very creative, uh, throw ideas off him. Um, and he was always open to everything. He, he said, if, and I, and I rode with him. You know, we we would talk about it. I mean, there's probably two years of my life that I spent with Mike talking about the WWE 
and, and directly with him and sharing ideas and why doesn't this work? Why does that work? And a lot of those ideas were shared at 4 a.m. when we're both getting up because he's the WWE champion and has to do, uh, has to do radio uh, at, that, at, at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. So, uh, he, all, again, always a hard worker. But, you know, we, just, we did. We had, we had a very good relationship. We were, we were peers behind. You know, we went, when we went on air, I was working for him, and he was the WWE champion. But as soon as it went off, I mean, we were peers. And... Uh, he would have the last say, and if the idea was bad or if he didn't want to use it for whatever reason, he would shut it down. But I could, I could speak freely and come up with stuff, and I, I think that really helped our, uh, our angle and, and, and what we were trying to do on camera. Great chemistry with you guys. It really bled through, and whether you were his protege, obviously he was your mentor, whether you, know, you were his VP of communication, whether you were just helping him out, whether you were drafted to SmackDown, but you stayed on Raw with him anyway, I always felt like you guys had this great chemistry. I always felt like you guys always should be kind of together. Did you mind having to turn face and almost feuding with The Miz, or did you think they should have kept you guys together a little bit longer? Um. No, no, I did not. I, that was something I think as much as we did, uh, not, to, not to pull the curtain back too much, but as much as we did get along, I think we had really – it's funny in the WWE with what you're seeing on television. If you look a little deeper, it, nine times out of ten is what's going to be happening in, in real. Like we had, we had kind of grown a little sick of each other. I, I know he had me and, uh, and I had him. I, I wanted to kind of get on with, with doing whatever I was going to do and – and, and I think that that partnership had, had really run its course. So, no, I, I was very happy to, to get that opportunity to kind of turn on him. I didn't know if I was going to get it. You know what I mean? I, I, I know if I was going to just end up somewhere and uh, be fired or, or that was going to be that. And I remember the night that I was fired uh, on Raw. They were Because, you know, you're sitting up there, and, and what a lot of other people don't quite understand either is that if – if the crowd doesn't cheer, like, your life is over. <laughs> so you're standing <laughs> in a ring with lines that you just got a minute ago that you barely know, uh, and you're out there praying to the gods that these people are going to cheer or boo, uh, or it's the end of your career. It is, it's, it's, and it's a, the most fickle audience in the world. Maybe they're not paying attention. Maybe they're sitting there for two hours, and, and, uh, and you need them to get with you in that moment on live television. So he was doing, he was doing his bit. Uh, and before he even fired me, uh, this whole star, the whole crowd starts chanting, fire him, fire him. So I'm like, oh, great. This is, this is just going to be great. I'm going to, I'm going to smack this guy in the mouth and they're just going to boo. So uh, when, when it happened and when it went down and, and when I beat his brains out and, uh, and the crowd erupted and and they really did get with that segment, um, I was very, very happy that, that it all kind of had turned out that way. Because again, it's timing. It's, it's, uh, does the crowd bite? Uh, and you only get one chance. You get one chance on live TV, and at that point, I had 11 years in it. So that's that's a lot of time to have to have come down to one moment. Did you think? I know you guys obviously had a feud, Capital Punishment, Raw, kind of back and forth. You had a feud. Did you feel like the feud almost could have been bigger or, or lasted a little bit longer, given the relationship you guys had on TV? Uh yeah, sure. I, I think anything. Um, I think that's that's the hard part with with what goes on at WWE. I think there's a lot of guys when you're climbing the mountain, 
there are uh, <clears throat> to get on television with the WWE is very very it's extremely hard. It's a dream come true, and it's very select few people get there. Um, but to be a top and to be a top guy at the WWE is a whole nother. Uh, you know, it's it's like you're starting over, and it's a, it's a it's a whole nother climb that that could that could take years and years, and 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 even less people get there. So. To, to have the turn to, to become, because it did, it, it did work very well. And, and to become as popular as, as I did at that moment and have the, the crowd was very, very engaged for, for, for a decent amount of time. Uh, sure, I wanted it to go longer and sure, I wanted it to be more detailed and did I want to speak more? And of course, I, I, think, I think everybody does. But there's also a lot of guys there that... Um, you know they they need to be they need to be fed on TV. You know that they they have a lot of money invested in those guys. There's there's a lot of action figures out for those people. Big Show, Undertaker, John Cena. You know Edge was, was there, and um and that's just the way it goes sometimes. You know there's there's only and the show at that point was only two hours and two hours a week uh, is once you start cutting it up with commercials is is not a lot of time. So. Um, I did the best I could with what I had. I was, I was very happy with, I was always very happy with the product I gave them. I think, I think promo wise and, and, uh, you know, I kept myself in shape. I, I was always very, very true to my character. So, uh, I, I was always proud of my work there, but of course, you know, I, I would have loved to have been WWE champion and, and, uh, you know, and, and end in the show with 30 minutes about, uh, my life story as, as Alex Riley growing up and, and all that stuff, but it's just not the way it happens. Now, thinking back, obviously, you know, you're doing a lot of acting now. Do you sit back and, and almost say to some of the girls that are asking you for advice on Netflix to say, you know, say, you know, I had a hip injury, uh, elbow injury, a knee surgery, you know, you had so many injuries. Do you almost, like, uh, preface them with some warning, like, hey, you know, this is a very tough business. You know, it's hard to become a wrestler. It's hard to get on TV. But then there's the flip side. It's like these injuries are very, very real, and they could take a large amount of time off of somebody's career. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I didn't get in a long enough discussion with any of those women to get to the point of, uh, you know, really diving into the, the inj injuries that could take place. And on, on top of the fact, I don't know. I think a lot of the, the injuries happen in, in WWE, not because of the actual physicality of what's happening in the ring, although it is extremely grueling but the time that you spend in the ring and the travel and the, you know, you're on, you're on five nights in five different cities a week on week 10 and you're just tired and you, you either you put your foot in the wrong place or you, you know, you don't tuck your head because you're, if you had one wrestling match a week, I highly doubt anybody would, would ever get injured and you know unless they're trying something crazy off the top and, and i'm cer certainly it would happen but just not at the rate that that it does uh that being said i i think if you're not smart enough to understand that when you step into a professional wrestling ring and you spend the first 20 minutes in there with chavo guerrero or dr tom pritchard or steve kern when i was when i was coming up if you don't understand that you're, you're in for a long haul injury wise or it could be then you're a fool you know uh i i think it i think it's to be expected uh it never that type of thing though was really never i never even thought about it because i i enjoyed football for that reason i i like the contact i like the violence um 
it's something that when I wasn't involved in, it, I missed it. And, and it was like kind of life was moving in slow motion and I wanted to do as much of it as possible when I was, when I was young. Uh, so, so injuries, I think, I think if you have any sort of brain on you that you understand that, that if you love this, prepare for, prepare for the operating room because it, it's, it's bound to happen a couple of times. Now, you know, you were injured for a little bit. You, you kind of became a color commentator for a time, but I just want to talk about the original NXT, which was silly. They had competitions. It did help elevate you with the Miz and created some good chemistry there and obviously created a great character, <laughs> A-Rye. But the original NXT, was, it was a little silly where the fact that they kind of try to do, you know, uh, embarrassing competitions or they try to... Yeah. Do weird things that just come out of left field that kind of don't make sense to to the wrestlers or whatever. Did you like the return of NXT when when it became much more TV oriented? It became much more of a wrestling show, and did you dislike that original competition show? Okay, yeah. So that's a great question. Um, the original NXT, I believe that I had more fun doing than personally than even WrestleMania 27. I, I loved WrestleMania 27 oh, wow. and I loved the run, yeah, the run that I had with Miz and shit, a ton of stuff that I, that I did with WWE <clears throat> for a lot of reasons. The, the, the NXT, when it came to the actual performing, the actual competition, um, and the, you know, just kind of the, the adrenaline rush that I would get before we would go live on Tuesday nights on Sci-Fi was that that was the best for me. If there was that would be the period of time that I look back in the WWE and and I thought that I had the most fun uh, actually performing because that was, you know, we truly didn't know anything that was going to happen, and you were made to, there was almost no time to worry about anything. You were uh, just up there and they would give you a mic and say, uh, we're going to talk for 30 seconds about a pigeon, um, which I had to do. And, and uh, I believe Eli Cottonwood got mustache, you know, so it, it, and it created these unbelievably hilarious, uh, you know, experiences that you tell your your kids about or your grandkids about when you like cottonwood talks for 30 seconds about how his mustache is better than anybody else's and then ends it with i don't that's because i don't have a mustache or whatever he did um <laughs> and i and i felt i felt i i had a i had the best chance in shining in those moments for whatever reason i was i was always better on my thinking on my feet um certainly speaking uh, the ring stuff was was planned more than more than anything else on that show. But everything everything with the mic was completely impromptu, and in that, I, a I considered it a true competition where people are re were really going to find out who's better than the next guy. And I felt very mm -hmm. confident in in that way. Like I uh, I wish I had gotten down to the final. Um, I believe it was me, McGillicuddy, and Caval. And I got eliminated. I did a I did a uh, goodbye speech or going home speech, and then uh, and then they had they had a chance to kind of go mic to mic with each other in the center of the ring. And I really really wanted that opportunity because I don't I don't think at the end of that uh, 
that face-to-face, whether it was me or McGillicuddy or me and Cabal, that there would have been any doubt who was the winner of that show. And, uh, and so that I, I very much craved, and I, uh, and I got excited for that show. So in, in that regard, I, I really do. I, I, I loved the way they had, they had first done it. And I wasn't a big part of the, uh, the new platform of NXT or the, the new structure of NXT. So I, I don't really have an opinion one way or on that. That's, that's kind of for the generation or the class of kids that, that were before me. But, you know, just to stick with that second season of NXT, I, I find it really interesting, and this would be a great question, because I don't think we've asked this to anybody from that year yet. And that is, did you guys feel any pressure coming off of that first season of NXT because of the impact of the Nexus? And obviously they they pluck uh, McGillicuddy and uh, that Harris guy, which I don't know whatever happened to him, but they pluck him out of there. <laughs> and you guys kind of had that, you know, the Nexus looming over that second season because it was such a huge angle and it was something so different than what anybody have seen. Did that second class feel any pressure to kind of live up to what the Nexus had produced? Absolutely. Yeah, I think what, what Nexus, what the angle that Nexus, or what the, the, the Nexus angle had done was now we were not going up there as a afterthought or a, um, you know, hey, let's just see if what one of these kids we can get to maybe plug in somewhere. It was... When it, when it went live on uh, on Tuesday, it was okay. We we could have another. We could have a WWE champion out of this group. So that it it added to the it added to the drama. Um, it certainly I think got more people to watch on uh, on Tuesday night. The, the crossover from Monday Night Raw to, to Tuesday Night NXT grew tremendously, and and the 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 houses were more packed. But I think that as as nervous as you will get in those situations, the more you can put on the line for whatever reason, it always seemed to sharp, certainly me, I I felt sharper in in those regards. And I think it did a lot of the other kids as well. I think it made for a better show. Uh, I think people then, you know, the Lucky Cannons and the, uh, you know, as you said, the Husky Harris's, the McGillicuddy's, um, who else do we have? Eli, Eli Cottonwood. We all showed up preparing to be possibly the WWE champion. Uh, we have a promo on you at all times. You never know what. So, so people were speaking in a bigger regard. I, I think I remember doing one where I, was, I had thrown Sheamus in there because he was the WWE champion at the time. And uh, I, I really think it helped tie the brand together into uh, Raw and SmackDown. I think it was very, very smart what they did. And I, think, I, I don't know if they would have done it if they didn't have Wade Barrett. I think he was the perfect guy for it. Um, he was the centerpiece. He was a great promo guy. Uh, he could hang with anybody. And, um, and I, I think that was really the test. A lot of things they do in the WWE, I don't think they really know until the night before. Uh, and when Wade had done as well as he did, they all sat in a room maybe, maybe that morning or maybe 48 hours prior, and they said, you know what, what do you think about this? And it worked, and it worked brilliantly. And then it woke all of us up to the fact that, uh, hey, you better, you better be ready. And if you're not ready, get ready, because uh, you, you, could, you could get it all put on your lap as soon as the show ended. You know, a lot of pressure. Season one had Wade Barrett. Obviously, Daniel Bryan, he ends up getting fired and brought back. But obviously, you know, two pretty big names associated with season one. And then season two, you know, yourself, Caval, who obviously uh, low-key, uh, as a lot of people know. And then Husky Harris, obviously, went on to become, and we're joking, but obviously went on to become Bray Wyatt. So it seems like those NXT seasons uh, were a little bit more important and pivotal than some people actually may remember. 
Oh, yeah. No, I, I think they were – it's, it's like you put pressure on a situation and you're either going to get somebody to to run out the door and crying and quit or you're going to get the best that – that you ha- that he can give you, and I and I think um, it was certainly a test of what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. And I think Bray Wyatt, Husky Harris, I, I think he had an opportunity to go on there and it, say what you want about Husky Harris or or Bray Wyatt. That that guy is incredibly incredibly talented. He was from the start, whatever he was doing in the beginning uh, when he was at FCW, and he's now. Now he's everybody's just seeing it, but but anybody working with him could see it from day one. And I uh, I, I think what you got out of Tuesday nights, the old Tuesday nights, was a lot of pressure, a lot of people put in situations where they had to be good and had to learn very quickly. And I think that was a gift for a lot of people, certainly Bray Wyatt. Now the new NXT, obviously, you know, you weren't spent too much time, but you did have some. You know, a little bit of, of a memorable run to me anyway. I remember the few with Kevin Owens. I thought that was pretty cool because it almost felt a little real, almost felt a little personal. Obviously, wrestled Nakamura as well. And now uh, Nakamura, obviously a big star in New Japan. Now he's a big star in SmackDown. But did you like kind of your role at that point in NXT? Because with the Kevin Owens thing, kind of came out of nowhere. But it came to me, it came off very well. It came off very real. Yeah. Um, did I did I like it? I guess I've been asked this question before and I'll this is how I've addressed. No, I did not. I mean, to be, oh, okay. to be blunt. No, no, of course I didn't. I mean, I was, I, I went there to be a wrestler. Uh, I was, you know, uh, I, I wanted to be a wrestler very badly. I was certainly athletic enough, certainly had the tools, uh, a, a lot of tools to be, um, to be the, the, the best wrestler there. I mean, I always felt like I had what it took to be the WWE champion. So to, to, to be 250 pounds and, and an ex-professional uh, football player, and yada, 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 and be sitting behind the desk. And it was highly, highly frustrating for me. That being said, uh, I loved when the red light was on talking WWE. It was fun. It was, I, I always was a, was a huge fan of WWE. I always knew the product better than anybody else. Uh, I, had a, I had a great perspective on what it took not only to climb through high school, college, to get to be a, a semi-professional football player, but what it also took to, I mean, I've been an athlete my entire life. So there was not going to be anybody else uh, that you could put on that panel with more athletic experience in, in different realms and could, could give a perspective on what happens inside the ring. Um, you know, I had my ass kicked in the ring a lot of times, and I kicked a lot of ass in the ring. So, so I had perspectives on both. But, no, I, I, absolutely not. I felt like I, I should have been in the ring. Um, it was time, I believe it was about two years of, of my career that, uh, you know, I was, I was in great shape uh, and proved it when I came off the desk and, uh, and wanted to be out there. But that being said, I was a part of the company and I was able to, to work extremely hard and, and, and give them what I had behind the desk. So in that regard, it was, it, it was a good thing. Appreciate the honesty there. Very, you know, good to hear just some real honest answers from, you know, some of the wrestlers and they might just bullshit us and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I love NXT or I love that that point. So it's great to get some honesty there. But when you became the color commentator, you became the quote-unquote the analyst, you seem like, mm-hmm. you know, you fit that role like a glove too. Like you said, you seem like you came off as somebody pretty knowledgeable. Obviously, you were a fan. Did that role come very easily to you just because of your fandom, just because of your knowledge of the business? 
Um, <clears throat> well, I think I was always, uh, I, when, I was, when I sent them a tape, um, an audition tape to become part of the WWE, it was from some of the, uh, I had sent them a tape of work that I was doing uh, sidelines for high school football in Northern Virginia. So it was, it was always a tool that I had. Uh, my father was a broadcaster. Uh, I grew up watching him on television. I don't know if that helps you become one or not, but I was certainly around and, uh, that business and, and watched it. I knew that I knew WWE inside and out. Uh, I've always been more of a, you know, uh, I, I was a quarterback in college. So I, I was always very mentally prepared to be a WWE superstar. Uh, that was never going to, I was never going to show up to work, not knowing as much as I possibly could about everything. Uh, I, I studied WWE and, and I, and I studied a lot of, of the nuances of the, of the great guys, the, of the guys that were, that were getting spots ahead of me. You know, I wanted to be the WWE champion very badly. And I, uh, and I showed up to work every day that way. And, and when I wasn't working, I was preparing mentally to become one. So when you put a guy like that behind a desk, uh, that was also an athlete uh, at Boston College and, and continued on to, to try to play some sort of professional football, it would be very hard for me to be caught in a position where I don't know what I'm talking about. I just, I, I knew it. I loved it. I had loved it since I was a kid and I wasn't just saying that I loved it. I did love it. Um, so I tried to just throw as much charisma into the information and, and, and get it out there. Uh, but no, I, I felt very comfortable doing it. It was a lot of fun and, and working with Booker T, you know, Booker T was a, is a hall of famer and, and, uh, really accepted me uh, when I got on the desk with him and, and uh, we became very good friends. And I don't know if there's a guy in the business that's better. And I will, since the moment I saw him and I'll probably be till, till he's done. I mean, Byron Saxton is a, is a professional uh, in every sense of the word and uh, a, was a great host. And, and we had a lot of fun. It was, a, it was really a, we got to the point where, we knew each other so well, we would, you know, they'd throw t-shirts at me and we'd pick on Byron and it was, it was just a great time. Now, I don't know if it could be true that the, the kind of in your blood, like your dad, like you said, obviously your dad is a, was a pretty famous uh, broadcaster. So maybe it's in your blood that you're just able to do that. But is it true that your dad was actually the college roommate of Greg Gagne? You know, obviously Vern yeah. Gagne's son, Greg. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Greg, yeah, he was. Um, and that's who we really, uh, the plan was, because Greg was always at the house growing up and, and, and Vern and all those guys, and he'd tell me all those stories. So, um, again, yeah, yeah, he was, he was always, it just makes me laugh, uh, me, my father, and Greg always, always had a good time together. Um, but, yeah, he, he was really the one who kind of put me on to uh, John Laurinaitis and, and, uh, and called Johnny, Johnny Ace and said, I got a kid that you might want to take a look at. So, so yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, that's pretty you know, amazing just to, just to sit there and think, like Greg Gagne, great wrestler, legendary wrestling family, like that he helped you get into the business. And then when you get to Johnny Ace, you know, at this point, what were your thoughts on Ace? Because everyone has uh, their various opinions on him. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I was never close enough to, to my, my philosophy on these things always was just don't, don't do anything to me. And you're a great guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, don't, yeah. don't don't stab me in the back, and if you don't, then you're a great human being And when it came to that place. So uh, I never had an issue with John, uh, Johnny Ace. He was, he was great. He's always great to me, in, in all honesty. He would, you know, we'd, ha- we'd have talks, and uh, he, he gave me an opportunity to be a part of the WWE. So for that, I, uh, I'll always be grateful. And uh, he always seemed to, to be a big believer in me. Vince McMahon, I believe, was always, you know, always – thought I had a lot of tools and and uh and had what it took to be a WWE superstar. So no, me and Ace were always were always very cool. I, uh, I I enjoyed it. Now obviously you were went down to FCW, you were very accomplished down there, former world champion, like you said, Dr. Tom, Steve Kern training you and things like that. But I'm always very curious, where do these names come from? Like you were Carson Oakley at one point. They literally <laughs> put names into like a name generator and then it shuffles that name. No, the uh, oh god, Carson Oakley. I was I was dating a girl by the name of Melanie Oakley at the time, and um, <laughs> down in Florida, and they were making, you know, and just like anything else in in the WWE, they'll come to you and they say, "We're well, you're not using Kevin Kiley anymore," and you say, "Why?" They go, "Don't worry about it. We're not going to tell you. It doesn't matter. We need we need we need a name now. Tell us." So. <laughs> You're you're stuck with, I mean that's how you get them. You just have these. You're put in these situations where you, anything that comes out of your head it goes on television. Um, but I was dating a girl by the name of Melanie Oakley at the time, and I I don't I don't believe that. I believe I said Oakley, but it was something else. It started with like maybe Mike Oakley, and then when it got back to Dusty's office, it became Carson Oakley, and then it was on television. So uh, that's very funny. Yeah. Crazy, you know, some of the names that, that they come up with are just, you know, like super, just like, quite frankly, a little bit silly. But what was it like under the learning tree, not only of Steve Kern, but under the legendary American Dream Dusty Rhodes? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> if there's going to be one person, I think, outside of my father uh, that's responsible for, you know, any of the success that I had in WWE and certainly uh, the fact that I'm in Hollywood right now uh, on a Netflix original series, it would be. It would be Dusty Rhodes. Uh, he's very, very special to me. He'll always be very special to me. Uh, when I got hired by FCW, um, I, I wasn't – wrestling is, is interesting in the way that it's taught. It's not really taught. You have to learn it yourself. Um, football is you show up. You are told that you're a wide receiver. You're told to go stand on that line, run to that line, turn around, and if you catch the ball, that's good. It's very black and white. Wrestling is the complete opposite. They, we stretch out, and then we just kind of hang out. That was, that was the way it was done for a very long time. And I didn't quite understand how to learn you know, they, they would teach they would teach the drills and they would they would teach the moves and and all those things, but then anybody could do that. Uh, so how do you turn yourself into a unique WWE superstar with the way you walk and the way you talk and your perspective and the thoughts that you have as the varsity villain? Well that that was all the American dream and I and I do believe that I was about a year, a year and a half in and I was on my way out the door. I mean, I, I don't think they – very few, I think, athletes do make it in the WWE uh, unless they have family in the business because you just don't know. It's a different 
it's a completely different way of learning and training, and you're expecting somebody to tell you what to do, and, and no, it just doesn't work that way. So when uh, I, I believe I was kind of on the chopping block, and, and Dusty Rhodes showed up one day, and um, God bless him, and uh, he, he was wandering around the building for a little bit, and uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard pulled us all together, and, and he, he told us to come up with about a minute of something like a fight promo and a, a promo. And uh, I went up there and I did mine. And it was the first time that anybody had pulled me aside and said, you know, you could be really good at this. And, uh, and I'll never forget it. I almost kind of, you almost get a little bit emotional about it. But uh, from that moment on, it was uh, people were kind of paying a little bit more attention to me and, People were trying to help me a little bit more, and uh, there was a little bit more patience. And it and certainly did take a lot of, uh, a lot of me trying to, to be creative and, and, I guess, learn how to learn to be a, to be a WWE superstar. But, but Dusty was, is, was responsible for Alex Riley. I've always said it. And now I think um, outside of my father, uh, the second in, in being responsible for Kevin Kiley Jr., I uh, – He's a great man, and I, I could never, you know, I just, I, I owe him a lot. It's pretty amazing to think of your kind of journey into the business, whether you go from Greg Gagne to Johnny Ace to Dusty Rhodes. I mean, and, and, you know, then, of course, obviously, being the protege of The Miz, it seems like, you know, quite a, a great journey, and obviously now what you're doing and kind of moving into Hollywood. But, you know, did you enjoy this journey? When you really think about it and really look at it, you know, quite a, an awesome thing to have all those kind of pieces fall into place. Yeah, I mean, it's been, God, I, I, it's almost even hard to put into words. It's a surreal, a surreal thing. I was a, you know, if I close my eyes and open them up again 12 years, 15 years ago, whatever it was, I was a medical sales guy in Northern Virginia. You know, that's, that's what I was going to end up. That's what I was going to end up being. And, uh, and it probably should have been, who knows? Uh, I, I, you know, the WWE and I didn't see eye to eye a couple times and I, and I thought that was going to be the end. And, um, and anybody, anybody has ever asked me, well, how, how did it, how did you do it? I, I can't even tell you, you know, I can never, I can never figure it out how I'm sitting here in Hollywood. I, I was never, certainly was never, I was always very shy, very skinny uh, growing up. And then to, I mean, when I, when I signed with the WWE, it was something that I always wanted to do very badly, very, very badly. But to say that I was comfortable talking in, in a wrestling uniform with knee pads on in front of just even the kids in, in FCW, it was, it, it, it was very obvious that I wasn't, you know, it, it, it took me showing up every day and being uh, scared to death of, of the activities in front of me or the three hours that was going to happen uh, when it came to uh, learning to be a wrestler and all that stuff. And, and uh, I guess along the way I got comfortable enough to, to, to fake it better than, better than most. And, just kept getting good at that, and 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 now I'm here. So, uh, but no, I don't. Uh, I, I'm very, very feel very fortunate and very blessed that uh, that it did kind of fall the way that it did. Um, and I'm proud that I've had some horrible, horrible. I remember I, should I, I was in a, was it a, uh, 
a battle royal or a, the Royal Rumble, uh, either in 2011 or 2012, and and had a had a little accident there and and kind of, <laughs> but and that was a terrible terrible night and a, and certainly an awful next two days uh, on the road. But I stuck at it and uh, and I think that's that's pretty cool, you know. It's uh, it can be tough at times, but you know I'm still here and I'm I'm still fighting it out. So yeah, no, I'm very fortunate. Now, as we start to wind it down a bit here, you know, I just gotta ask because you know it, it is kind of you know the elephant in the room. I don't want to you know get too sure, angry yeah. or get too much a get too much of an answer out of it. But there was always that that underlining thing with you and, and Cena, like you guys didn't really get along. Is that true? Was there like an incident or something, or did you guys just not get along, or he's just one of those guys that he goes your his way, you go your way? Um. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I guess I'm not saying anything that other people haven't already kind of said. I mean, it is kind of out there. So, I'll say this: there, there was an incident. And it certainly affected uh, the path of my career. Uh, however, I'm not going to talk about it right now. Uh, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth in my own head morally, really, with do I say anything, do I not? Uh, I'm not in the habit of destroying anybody's career. Uh, so it's just, it's just something at this point I'm not, I don't want to address further than that. But... One day, I certainly will. It was a, it was a hard situation to deal with. Hey, that uh, sounds fair enough to me. You know, I appreciate you uh, giving the answer you did. So I don't want to, you know, stick on that or kind of dig any deeper. Uh, you know, we respect that, and whenever you you want, we will be yeah. all ears to the the Cena stuff. That's for sure. But you know, as far as in ring is concerned, you know, obviously you had some matches against Cena, some steel cage matches, some big matches, some big matches involving the Miz, but do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches that you had in your career? Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the, there was a Texas tornado tag team match between, I want to say, I think we were in Las Vegas and I was out there I have I have to wear contacts, and I remember either I had an eye infection or something was going on with my eye where I could only have one contact in, and I'm sitting out there, and I'm dreading, not dreading having to do it, but, you know, you're out there in a, in a wrestling ring with one contact, and it was me, Rey Mysterio, Jack Swagger, and The Miz, and it was, it was the greatest, I think it was the best match that, Certainly, the most fun match that I've ever been involved with. Ray and uh, Ray had kind of put it together with Mike, and, and we were all sitting around. I did, I did this thing where uh, where Miz was sitting on the top, and I ran and I jumped to the the old Shelton Benjamin and jumped to the top rope and and suplexed him off the top, and and we were in Las Vegas, and to have that feeling, uh, to, to have a have a good match in Las Vegas, and then kind of go out that night and party a little bit. I think that the combination of those two things had to. Had to make that my uh, my best match in WWE, and and turning on the Miz, having having the, the capital punishment match was was obviously great, and uh, and the WrestleMania, the, the the main event of WrestleMania, but those the main event of WrestleMania, obviously I was a part of, but not really a working piece of that match as as much as other people were. The Texas Tornado match was kind of like my uh, with the people that were in the ring 
that was like, hey, I'm, uh, I can do this. I'm here to stay. And, uh, you know, um, I belong type of thing. Now, any favorite opponents that you had that really stuck out as far as really enjoyed working with them specifically, you know, chemistry-wise? I know, obviously, you worked with The Miz quite a bunch, but is there another wrestler out there that you just really, really enjoyed working with? Yeah, Dolph Ziggler. Uh, me, and, uh, Dol- me and Dolph always got along great, and he was – he must be 75 pounds soaking wet, so uh, you don't really get tired in there with him, and you can <laughs> toss him up in the air like a pizza if you want to, and he, he makes things look very, very good. So uh, I always enjoyed uh, enjoyed working with him. Uh, you know, your buddies, you, you want to you be in there – not your buddies, but you want to be in there with guys that you came up with uh, – Jack Swagger and I were, were hired almost at the same time, uh, or at least got to FCW at the same time. Uh, so, so every time we had a match on, on television, it was kind of like, well, you know, look at it. We've been at this for a long time, kind of nostalgic. Uh, so, so that type of thing. Uh, I'm trying to think anybody else. I, I, would, I would say those two, you know, right now would be, uh, there's a guy down in, F, in FCW, uh, not FCW, NXT, Wesley Blake. Uh, when I when I kind of tried to get going down there again at the end of my career, I I started getting along with those guys very well, and and me and him had a couple matches uh, and uh, and had a good time together. So now this is one of those questions I kind of don't really like asking, but you know you'll get somebody on Twitter, some idiot saying, "Oh, how come you didn't ask that?" Uh, you know, you're a yeah. terrible uh, interviewer there, but you know, th- they got us to say it, I guess, so these idiots don't say anything. But would you ever return to the WWE if that was ever put on the table for you? Um, yeah, hmm, uh, yeah it's not a terrible question. I, what would I return? It would have to be the right circumstances, and it's not going to be for for a good amount of time. I mean, I I love what I'm doing. I, I have had a uh, I've had a blast so far doing this. I've met a lot of great people, and um, and I believe I, I believe I have something here. So I want to I want to dive into this 100 uh, percent, give it everything I've got, and and build up some some steam on this side, uh, which I believe I can do. And 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 really, I, I love I love what I'm doing. Uh, I loved being a part of the WWE, but it had run its course. And now I have, you know, every time I make one of these transitions, I I get very nervous that I'm not going to find something that. I loved as much as the, the last the last uh, career venture, I guess you'll call it. I remember when football was over, I, I was excited to be a part of the WWE, but I thought I was, nah, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm gonna love it as much as football. You know, I'd have never really done it, and I don't know what it what it really is. And and then when I when I you know finally got used to it and fell in love with it, I was just felt so fortunate. And then and then the same thing happened, and and now and now it's happened all over again for me here. So. Uh, I love waking up every day and and uh, either going to an acting class or being on set or you know uh, figuring out what the next move is with with my manager and or uh, you know talking about I have a film coming out in 2018 uh, called Glass Jaw you know and and uh, I kind of got a role a role on that as well so so th- this I'm very engaged in it um, but no the answer is yes I, I absolutely would uh, but this the circumstances would have to be would have to be right, and uh, it's not going to be for, for a decent amount of time. Now, if you could pick a dream match against anybody, whether active, not active, whatever, who would your dream match be against? Uh, you know, I'm not – can we answer that question? And in, in, uh, Can we hold on that question as well for, for a little bit? Maybe the next time I come on, I'll, I'll answer. I don't quite know yet. I don't quite know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that, that 
I want that to be the last WWE question I ever answer. We'll put it that way. Fair? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that sounds fair to me. Because I don't want, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to really want to dream. I, I kind of want to. We'll see. We'll see by the end if it. You know, I'll just. Well, well, I just let's just hold that question for next time. I'll, I'll take the fifth. Hey, I. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, just one more Netflix-related question for me. I just got to ask. Yes. Other than Glow, what's your favorite show on Netflix? Oh, House of Cards. I love House of Cards. And I think uh, the, yeah, the Naomi Watts show, Gypsy, um, that just came out is, is, is pretty good. But I love, I love House of Cards. And I became – I was a pretty big Spacey fan before, but when I started watching House of Cards and, and some of the stuff that he was doing there and then started paying attention to you know, some of the things that he was saying about television and the transition of actors and character actors coming over to episodic dramas and – and uh, the way the future of, because I was, it was very disheartening to me that, you know, this battle against humanity and technology or whatever, if there's, you know, you, you want to talk about, and, you know, just putting, putting special effects in a movie for two hours and it not being good. And, you know, are there, what happened to the old movies? Because I, I miss the old movies and the, and the stories and the characters and, uh, and you want sometimes you think that technology is just going to drown us all out here and uh and and it, we're going to lose all of this this great great stuff so when he he gave a talk i can't remember who he was speaking to um but he was in london giving a giving a speech and he was talking about the kind of the rebirth of the character actor uh coming to episodic uh television on um on these these platform on these internet platforms and Netflix being one of them I got I got very into that so so House of Cards for sure. If you get done watching Glow, then you can flip over to Gypsy because uh, there's a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of interesting storylines on Gypsy. I will uh, definitely give it that. Maybe watch that one with the lights off because uh, there's a lot of yeah. Uh, are you are you watching it? Are, are you, I am. Yeah. I am. I like. I'm six in. I I dig it a lot. It's uh, it's definitely interesting. Again, another very Mulholland Drive-ish uh, in terms of the yes, Naomi yes. Watts role. Um, but very cool. Again, something different. Yeah, yeah, I, and I dig it too. I I like the I like that they kind of they though it's dark. You know, it's dark, and and they can they can go down these weird these weird paths. And I'm only on episode two, but yeah, I dig it too. I think it's awesome. It sparked a gigantic debate between my wife and I uh, when it comes to <laughs> husbands and wives and extramarital affairs because of the fact right. that it gives you a very good, in the middle of it, I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, but it gives you a very good moral compass in about episode five as to which way somebody okay. can go in a situation. But we'll leave it at that. And obviously, you know, this has been unbelievable, and we appreciate all the time. But we'll just bring it back to Netflix. We'll bring it back to Glow. Please give us the final pitch for the listeners. I'm sure a lot of people have already checked it out. I mean, more people are watching Netflix than even own cable at this point. So please give us one more good pitch on Netflix. Tell us what we have to expect. And obviously we've felt your enthusiasm this whole entire show. It's been, like I said, unbelievable. But tell us a little bit more about Netflix before we uh, hit the road on this episode. Yeah, thank you guys very much for your time. I, I have appreciated it. It's been great. Uh, reminiscing about uh, about all things Netflix and WWE. But if you haven't watched uh, Glow on Netflix, you have Genji Cohen, the executive producer, uh, creators, some, one of the best in Hollywood, uh, Liz Flahive, Carly Mensch, uh, a cast of Hollywood actresses, the best in the business, Betty Gilpin, who has done uh, American Gods and um, 
a ton of other great things. It's a show on, on 1980s glow wrestling and the girls and, and what they were trying to do by making it in, in Hollywood and, and then transferring over to getting a shot on this show. It's very, very funny. Uh, it's right on, the, right on the same lines as Orange is the New Black Weeds. And uh, you have some cameos from WWE superstars, uh, Brodus Clay, John Morrison, and myself as Steel Horse. And there's a, what did you call it? A little bit of a sex scene, I guess. We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. that, that that's, yeah. that's, that's the best I can do is maybe offer half of, a, <laughs> half of a sex scene to get you over to watch it. But no, it's a fantastic show. Uh, it's on Netflix. Netflix. It's a Netflix original series, and it's just another home run for, for everybody involved. They really did a great job, and I'm uh, you know, very fortunate to be a part of it. So very, very cool stuff. Awesome, yeah. Now, Kevin, this has been great, and we could call you maybe uh, K-Kai by the end of this. You know, we got A-Rod, we got Alex Riley, we got Steel Wars. How about K-Kai? But yeah, before we let you go, <laughs> before we let you go, please share with the listeners of, of the two-man power trip of wrestling where they can find everything in your world and where uh, maybe we can see some of the other future projects of Kevin Kiley Jr. in the world of social media. Yeah, uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Kylie Jr. WWE. On Twitter, it is the same, Kylie Jr. WWE. Look out uh, early 2018 for Glass Jaw. Uh, it's a feature film, and it's, it's, uh, it's a fantastic story. Um, and and it, just keep, keep an eye out for that. But, yeah, all social media-wise is uh, Kylie Jr. WWE. So that's where you find me. And I don't want to leave the listeners on a cliffhanger here, but I'm going to because not only will we love to have you back down the road, and talk about what you got going on next, but we will find out the whereabouts of the Alex Riley Varsity Jacket. And that is still to come <laughs> on a later episode of Two Man Power. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. What the world is downloading.